0: How many of you grew up in church? As a child, you, you attended church, okay. We're so thankful for these children. They, uh, they, uh, they are blessings from God to their family, and they're blessings to our church, too. So let, let's pray for them right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these precious children, and I can't help but think of when they come down every Sunday morning about the parents bringing their children to Jesus that day and the disciples tried to rush them away because Jesus was a busy man but Jesus was angry with them and he said allow the children to come in unto me for such are the kingdom of heaven Amen. and Lord we thank you for the childlike faith they have and I, we pray that one day by your grace that it would be true saving faith that they place in the Lord Jesus and that we as a church family, and especially as parents at home, the seeds that we're planting into their lives will produce great fruit for the glory of God in your kingdom, in the name of Jesus we ask it, amen, amen. amen. Yeah, I remember growing up in church, I didn't understand what we were doing half the time. I remember, how many remember the song, "Bringing in the sheaves? Yeah. Bring it in, we shall come rejoicing. I thought they were singing Bringing in the cheese Now I like cheese So I'm, saying, I'm singing Bringing in the cheese We're rejoicing I like cheese So, so I was saying, I really thought that Bringing in the cheese And I thought, and also thought that on Sunday nights There's people back in that thing Where the water was Were going swimming I really did I thought there was some type of a swimming thing I didn't understand it Eventually I asked questions All oh, that was called baptism was and everything And we we sat over in the wing of the church, so I have to come out and kind of lean and, and look and see what was going on. And I figured out that those who came walk the what we call walk the aisle. Remember that terminology, walk the aisle on uh, Sunday mornings were the ones who got in the water on Sunday nights. Amen. And one Sunday morning, my older brother walked out from uh, the wing section to the preacher at the end of, during the invitation. And I knew I, I was going to have to do it sooner or later, so I'm going now because he went, I'll be with my brother. And the preacher asked us some questions, we shook our head, and, and then well, we, we got up in that order. And so, so I was baptized at the age of six, and I was a Christian now, and I was going to heaven, so I thought. thought. And I consider myself a Christian all of that time because I, I believe in God, I go to church, I've been baptized, you know, I'm a Christian. And yet the gospel was preached every Sunday at our church. And I have a Sunday school teacher that I really loved and respected so much. And he said, and he, he did our mission trips. We always do mission trips to Paw, West Virginia from Second Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. And he said, now when you get old enough, I want you to go on a mission trip with us. And I, he asked me and I said, yes, but to go on this mission trip, you had to come every Sunday evening during the discipleship training and Uh, uh, study and prepare to go on this mission trip we had to memorize all kind of scriptures that showed the way that we can know God come to God called the Roman road the Roman road verses in 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 the book of Romans that showed us our sin that God was holy and God, uh, God must judge our sin But yet he judged our sin and his son for us That if we turn from our sin and place our faith in Christ we'll be saved All kind of verses about that And you had to memorize all these verses before you go on this mission trip So you could share with people on the mission trip And I memorized all those verses To do this And it never dawned on me one time Jay, you've never done that and we knocked on every door in that town of Paw, West Virginia, and, and invited people to come. That Sunday night, uh, we had the tent set up for tent revivals, vacation Bible school during the day. That Sunday night, no one from town came. It was just us folks. So I wanted to go back to the camp and play volleyball. Why are we going to have a service? None of, none of these sinners showed up. That was the night. I was born again that the was same. the night that God opened my eyes to see my sin and my Amen. need of a Savior and I, I'm sad that, and I, I know you know this Paul because you talk about it to us I mean we got church members here their name's on the church roll, but their name is not on the heavenly roll. Yeah. they've never been born again they, they might know about God and believe in God I was sincere but I was sincerely wrong I, I thought I was going to heaven because I was baptized and I believed in God and I'm a pretty good person I've never killed anybody I didn't realize I was a sinner in need of a savior. Mm. And I hope that's not you. I hope, I hope you're not Christian by name or just association. I really hope you're a Christian because you've been born again by the Spirit Amen. of
1: God. Amen, thank you Jay for sharing that. I asked him to do that because the, the Bible says in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and uh, the blood of the lamb is always present but i fear that the word of our testimony is lacking at many times so i wanted to hear that today we're going to talk about the blood of jesus well we're going to participate in a remembrance of the blood of jesus in a moment as we celebrate communion which we do always or generally on the first sunday of the month as uh the lord allows us to so um i want to invite you to turn in your copy of god's word if to Psalm 130. Some are in the Psalms. Three more sermons left. This one in Psalm 130. And I just, it's hard coming up with titles to sermon. You want to be so clever. But but sometimes it's just not clever, but it's right there laying on the surface. And, and this was kind of one of them. And I just, I just titled it Waiting When It Hurts. Any of you had to wait when you were hurting? Waiting when it was painful. Right? Waiting when... You're getting panicky. I think we've all been there, so we can in some sense relate to what David is saying. Next week, if you'd like to know, if you're one of those people that likes to have some inside information, we'll be dealing with Psalm 19. Something cool about that one. That's the oldest psalm in the book. Because it was written by Moses like hundreds of years before any of the other psalms were written. And it's a little different. Go look at it. And my dear friend, uh, Brother Justin Fordham, is going to come down from McDonough. And I love, I'm, I'm going to see if I can get him to tell his testimony briefly before he preaches. But two and a half years ago, he was running and using drugs in Atlanta. And uh, two and a half years later, he is a mighty man of God and preacher of the gospel. And he, i am tell you what, he is your worst nightmare if you're out there running and drugging because he knows the power of the gospel. And i am tell you what, he, he goes after his friends that are still in that lifestyle. And so pray for Justin. He's preaching right now at County Line Congregational Christian Church in McDonough. And then the following week, Brother Wes Fuller here will be back with us to finish up where we started in Psalms. Psalm I started with Psalms 1. And actually, the, uh, a lot of folks put Psalm 1 and 2 together as a, the same psalm. Um, so he's going to finish up with Psalm chapter 2, which I thought would be a fitting ending. So get your Bibles, and you're in Psalm 130, waiting when it hurts. Waiting when it hurts. As you can see in your Bible or, or maybe even um, as we looked at it earlier in the call to worship, this has a title to it, and it's called a Psalm of Ascent. Anyone remember what a Psalm of Ascent means? What are they ascending? To the temple. Yeah, in Jerusalem. So in other words, if I looked out here today, I would have to guess, because we're so down in our numbers, it's easy for me to figure out, that Jay Lauritsen, back there, raise your hand for us, Jay, you drove the farthest. Back in the day, we'd give you a prize. But uh, you probably drove the farthest to be here today. Um, and, and this was a song that they sang on their way to the temple to worship together as a nation. Now, they didn't do it every Sunday. Matter of fact, they did it on Saturdays and only six times a year officially. They had six what they called holy convocations. There were six times a year that all the men of Israel were required to stand before the Lord. And by the way, this is an aside. God said, don't come empty-handed. Bring me, you bring the Lord a gift in your hand. And then there were other things they had to bring besides a free will offering. There were other offerings. But anyway, six, six times a year. And oftentimes, the men would bring the wives and the babies. It was a festive time. That's where the word holiday comes from. It means holy day. And on those six holiest days of the year, all the Jewish daddies would gather up their Jewish mamas and all their little Jewish babies. But they didn't get in the car to drive to Jerusalem. They walked. They walked. You walked to church today, didn't you? Mandy walked to church. I was listening to one of my old sermons from three years ago this week. Reminds me of another brother who used to walk to church. Because about... 30 seconds into my illustration, I heard come through loud and clear, amen, preacher, that's right. It was Brother Willie. Oh, I miss, I said, Lord, I need another Brother Willie so bad. Brother Willie was a dear old deacon brother of ours that walked to church every Sunday. Love that man, and he is with the Lord right now. But on your way to church, on your way to the temple in those times, it's a long walk. What do you do? You sing. I remember we had a long drive. I don't remember exactly how far it was to Manchester, Mom. I think it was about 50, 55 minutes, would I be about right? Uh, we went to church far away from where our home was as well. And we would often sing in the car. Because Mom learned something early on. If we weren't singing, we were fussing. Anyone ever have a fight on the way to church? Don't raise your hand if you have one this morning. <laughs> You have a fight on the way to church, and then, you know, you're all fussing with each other and fighting, and then you get out of the car, and, you know, praise the Lord, brother. Great day. Happy in the Lord. Meanwhile, you've been cussing each other out by the time you pull in the church parking lot. I know how it is. When we're on a long trip, which we're getting ready to take another one back to Kansas to see uh, my wife's family, one of my favorite things is when she plugs her phone into into the stereo, which... I'm starting to figure out how that works. I thought it was witchcraft at first, but it's not. It's just Bluetooth. And she plays, we have the whole, it's two albums, but we have the whole New City Catechism. And we play the whole thing and sing it. And that doesn't even get us halfway to Kansas. And we'll sing it several times. And it changes the whole whole environment. Y'all can picture what I'm saying? And, and, and you should listen to good music that exalts the Lord Jesus Christ and honors the Holy Father. Amen? Yeah. You should surround yourself with that. Garbage in, garbage out. Don't listen to that garbage music. So what would they do on the way? They would sing, but when they got close, by the way, the temple in Jerusalem, Jerusalem itself, but then the temple more so, was at one of the highest points in Jerusalem that's how come even though jesus lived in galilee which is north of jerusalem the bible always says he went up to jerusalem why because it doesn't mean up north it means up high jerusalem sits up high and so they went up to the temple but but boy when they got to jerusalem the temple itself was even higher so you literally had to what walk up the stairs and the path to get to god's sanctuary Well, that's what these songs of ascent were about. When all those pilgrims would get to the bottom, now imagine you're walking with a group of people, and there could be 500, sometimes over 1,000 people in your group, but when you got to the the base of the temple, and it's going to take a little bit to, to walk up there, somebody would start singing a psalm of ascent. This is what you sing to get your heart ready to worship Jehovah, the covenant God of Israel, with your fellow Israelites. Some, one brother has, has called them the stepping stones to the heart of God, these songs. I love that. So what I'm about to share with you this morning is a, is a stepping stone to get to God's heart. A, um, a step-by-step method, if you will, to have God's heart for your own heart. So in Psalm one hundred thirty, I want I want to share with you that this is the sixth of seven what's called penitential psalms in the Bible. Brother Wes preached on the first one, which is Psalm six, um, Psalm six, Psalm thirty two, Psalm thirty eight, Psalm fifty one. Did I preach that one, Jay? What what was one of your favorite? Oh, Psalm. Um, 37. Psalm 51, Psalm 102, this Psalm, Psalm 130, and then Psalm 143. So if you want to jot those down and go look at them later, those would be great. And these are psalms or songs or poems or prayers which express sorrow for sin and ask God's forgiveness for sin. Think that's a good thing? Okay, does anybody else here connect in these dots? Here I am, Jewish daddy dragging my Jewish family with me. What are we singing as we Climb the steps to the temple. God, forgive me. Is that a good thing to get to the heart of God? You better believe it. Because the fact that you've got a sin problem is what's keeping you from God's hearts. So this is what they would sing. Martin Luther, one of my favorite guys, uh, always said if I had more ch- more sons, one of them would be named Martin and the next one would be named Luther. I want you to know what team I'm on. Martin Luther called four of these uh penitential psalms, the Pauline psalms, because of their special focus on faith as it relates to forgiveness. Those were for him, Psalm 32, 51, 130, this one, and 143. He said that these were his favorite uh, psalms because in his own words, I'm going to quote him now, quote, they teach us that the forgiveness of sins is granted without the law and without works, end quote. Isn't that good? They teach us, that the, the forgiveness of sins is granted out, without the law and without works. Isn't, that, isn't that, anybody here glad? You should be. And so this particular psalm of ascent begins as low as any of them do. As we see, or we'll see, it starts in the very depths of the sea. It's often called by its Latin name de profundus, which literally means from the depths. Ever been there? It might start low, but as Charles Spurgeon wisely observed, quote, certainly it does rise rapidly out of the depths of anguish to the heights of assurance, end quote. So we start low, but it ends high. Samuel Cox calls it, quote, a tiny gospel Announcing the truths which men in every age need to know. So there's something for you in this psalm, and there's something for me. It's a cry from the depths, a call for forgiveness, a caution to wait, culminating in a command to hope in the Lord. So let's get right at it this morning. Number one, it is a cry from the depths. A cry from the depths. And literally here, David, or David, David intones or intends here um, the depths of the sea. And why would he use that imagery? Where, uh, I think my oldest son is out on a, on a death call for the funeral home. But what's the deepest part of the sea that we know of? What's it called? It's a trench. Marianas Trench. I always thought that was marinara, which I love, but it's not. <laughs> That's a good dipping sauce for your pizza crust. But it's the Marianas Trench. And it's like, a couple of miles deep anybody ever watch those Discovery Channel things where they send those unmanned uh, things down there to the bottom of such horribly deep things and there's all kind of weird mannered creatures in there um, I, I think there's still dinosaurs that live down there in that mess and that stuff gives me nightmares a I'm claustrophobic and B, being up under, under that much water the pressure that's in water pressure that's involved That's some deep stuff, right? And that's what what David intones here. Let's look at these verses together. They'll come up on the screen. Matter of fact, why don't we say them together? Here's verse number one. Say it with me. A song of ascents. Ready? Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. Verse 2. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. That word supplications means requests. So here he is in a very, very deep, waiting when it hurts. Now we don't really know. David doesn't give us any clue what's going on here. We got some ideas. It looks like whatever this depth is, a couple of things. Number one, it's not just David, it's the whole nation. Because there seems to be a, a we get into it a little bit later, is he's really hitting on Israel. And it's a sin problem. So the whole nation had a sin problem. And it made the king feel like he was at the bottom of the Marianas Trench in the darkness and the pressure and there was no way out. Now, I know that we can't relate to a country today that has a sin problem. But maybe some other countries like, like Afghanistan. Actually, Brother West shot me a thing here this week. The fastest growing church right now is in Afghanistan. Wow. What does that tell us? Psalm 69, just jot it down, 1 through 3. David again. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there's no foothold. I've come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like, God, where are you? Do you see this? I have. Jonah cries out a similar prayer from the belly of this great fish. Not a whale, by the way. It's not a whale. It's a great fish. Whale's not a fish. It's a mammal. And there is a fish plenty big enough to swallow a human being. It happened twice to Jonah. It also happened to a guy in England in the 1700s. And, they, and, and the whale threw this whale. listen to me. Back in my rule. It was uh, what do they call it? Paul's gone again. What do they call that giant, uh, inert, uh, what's it called? With the spots on it. We got one in Atlanta Aquarium. A whale shark? What, uh, is, it a, is it called a whale shark? Okay, Sam's, yeah, whale shark. It's got spots on it. Anyway, this whale shark, guy fell in when they were fishing in England in the 1700s, and this this thing's it's not funny, but it swallowed him. And then they, they, they caught the shark and killed it, and... Um, and brought, they said that thing could swallow a Volkswagen bug Linda's car his mouth is big enough to, 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 to fit a whole Volkswagen beetle in his mouth. I met some people like that before but this is a, this is a, this is a shark um, and it swallowed this guy and they killed it got it on board, cut it open and the guy was still alive but he had been in this shark's stomach for hours and they said he had no hair no eyebrows, nothing and he was bleached white can you imagine what Jonah looks like after three days no wonder those people repented they said, this, just a look at this guy coming in. What, what in the world? Anyway, I digress. Jonah is not out of the belly of this great fish. He's inside of it. And, and, out, and, and we know something about whale sharks is they dive down to the depths of the sea. So he's literally in the depths of the sea. Here's what he says. Jot it down, Jonah 2.2. 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the great depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. And then write this one down, Lamentations 3, 5. The cry of Jeremiah the prophet, the weeping prophet. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. And that was a literal pit. Um, The king did not appreciate his message from God and threw him in a pit. Corrie ten Boom. Anybody know who she is? She's the author of The Hiding Place. If you've not read that, please do so. You can get a free version of it on YouTube. Listen to it being read. Ben's going to be reading that very soon in our class. She was sent to a Nazi concentration camp during World War II and, um, because she was hiding Jews in her home. Corey once wrote this, quote, there is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. And she lived that out in her life. And that's what you and I need to remember when the bottom falls out of your life. Listen to me, listen to me. God is still there. Now David is dealing, we think maybe we can make some assumptions with some national sin problem. The whole country is in sin. And it's breaking his heart as the king. But God is still there. Don't forget it. We need to hear it. When you cry out to him from the depths, God hears you. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God hears? I remember many years ago, we had this little wiener dog. You all know what a wiener dog is? um, Long body, bitty legs. I don't even know if that dog actually had knees. I'm I'm not certain he had knees. Um, I thought it, was, it was like just some feet attached to a body. It's the strangest but could that Joker run? Well, I don't know how that little tiny with no knees could run so fast. But old, we named him Schnitzel, or Wiener Schnitzel. Well, Schnitty could run. My goodness, he'd get loose and he, he, he'd want to visit his girlfriend, and boy, could he hit fifth, fifth gear. You couldn't catch that dog for anything. Well, one day, he disappeared. I figured he was going to visit his girlfriend, but I'm talking. Like three days, he's gone. Well, my daughters are freaking out. And I am too, because I kind of like that little dog. It was a Sunday morning. And Anna had gone back to the house for something. Something was forgotten. And she went back to the house, and she went into the kitchen to get it. And she heard what sounded like the whining of a dog, very, very faint. And it was coming from underneath the house. And she went underneath the house and um, where our basement ends, we have a two-thirds basement. For whatever reason, I think they were going to put a French drain in there and never did. It's dug out all the way to the bottom of the basement. It's deep. That pit is probably about six feet deep. Well, if you're a dog that has feet but no knees, you're not getting out of that. And that crazy dog had been three and a half days in that pit, and he was just about done for. And here's the problem. He was crying the whole time. But I live in a loud house. And our house is so loud, we never heard the cry of that little dog. And i tell you, there were no sweeter words to my ears when Anna came bursting into church and said, I found schnitzel. He was under the house in a pit. Oh, we might not have heard little schnitty's voice for three days. And it took the house getting quiet for Anna to hear that faint little dehydrated voice. But, oh, brothers and sisters, God always hears you. Amen. God's never too busy, it's never too loud that the Father doesn't hear the cry of the voice of his people or the voice of a broken-hearted king. Look at number two is a call for forgiveness verses three and four, a call for forgiveness. So David's crying, God's listening. And then he gives a call for forgiveness in verses three and four how about you read that with me let's begin verse three if you lord should mark iniquities oh lord who could stand but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared amen by the way that verse number three is an important question if god kept a record of sins who could stand before him If God kept a record of all your sins, are you going to be standing by the time he's done telling you each one? Nope. Because doesn't the Bible tell us that even just one sin is all it takes? It's enough to keep you from heaven. But what if God kept track of them? Well, the frightening answer to all that is that you ready for this? God does keep track of all sins. Uh-oh. Revelation, jot it down. The book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 20, verses 12 and 13. Listen to these words. John writing what he saw. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And you ready for this? And the books were open. I want you to hear me. I forget who got up here and said it this morning. I think it was Jay. Your name might be on the roll of this church, but it doesn't mean it's in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jay said a prayer and got wet at six years old. He became the property of, and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb later on in that missions trip. The books of life, books were opened Which is the book of life it goes on to say the dead were judged according to you ready for this what they had done as recorded in the books the sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and hades gave up the dead that were in them in other words it's uniting of body and soul and spirit and each person how many people church each person was judged according to what he had done. And by the way, don't get scared. I'm going to spend most of our time on this point, and the other two will go very quickly. Here's the truth of the matter. None of us can stand before God in our sin. I used to give an illustration until I almost burned a communion table down. <laughs> of I would have a candle here and a piece of paper and I would take the piece of paper. I said, "The candle. The Bible says that God is a cons- our, our God is a consuming flame. Because God is something called holy. Everybody say holy. holy, holy. That means completely outside of, other than sin. He is not sinless. He's holy. There's a there's the difference between a puddle and a sea, between sinless and holy. He is holy." He is so holy, in fact, that any sin, and I would take the paper, that comes into his presence, what happens to the paper when you put it in the very presence of a flame? What, what happens? Does a flame go out or does, a, does the paper go up? Paper, up? paper goes up. He is a consuming flame. Any sin that is in you or on you when you stand before this holy God is going to be judged. God will be left standing, and hear me, you will not. So we're talking about crying out to God from the depths. And when it comes to sin, you and I are truly out of our depth. In fact, this is the deepest depth of them all, to find ourselves deep in our sin. A guy named P.T. Forsyth said this, there is no depth so deep to us as when God reveals his holiness in dealing with our sin no depth so deep to us as when God reveals his holiness when dealing with our sin the Bible tells us that no one has standing before God when it comes to sin we read in Romans 3 now verse 19 and in verse 23 now we know that whatever the law says it says to those that are under the law listen to this so that every mouth may be silenced gets worse And that the whole world, how many people, church? The whole world held accountable to God. And then a few verses later it says, because all have sinned. How many, church? All All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Who can stand before Him, church? No one. So what's the answer? The answer is what David's doing here. We, we better get busy crying out for mercy. Amen? That's what he's doing. He's crying out for mercy. We need to be like the tax collector in the parable of the, of the tax collector and the Pharisee. How did the tax collector pray? We read in Luke 18, three, 13. 18, 13 of Luke's gospel, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. By the way, that's where we get our idea of bowing our head when we pray. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat at his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what David's doing. And it's interesting to note that Psalm 130 comes here more towards the end of the Psalms of ascent than at the beginning. I would have thought it It would start like that. No, it doesn't. Because the Psalms of Ascent are all about drawing closer to God. And one thing we learn in our Christian walk is this. And I want you to hear this. The closer we come to God, intimacy I'm talking about, the more aware we become of our sin. True or false? False. And the more aware we become of the depths of our sin, how deep is our sin problem, and the more we become aware of our great need for God's mercy and forgiveness. How many of you know what that's like to walk so close to God? I've experienced that, and I long to get back to that place in my life where I'm walking so closely to God that Uh, I become hyper aware of my sin. I remember one particular episode when this was true. I just, God gave me this beautiful season of of, of just intimacy with him. And I don't know, how many of you live in Wildwood? Raise your hand. Almost all of us. But even though if you drive in here, like Michael, you're going to notice something. Outside of Wildwood, stop signs are the law. Inside, they're a mild suggestion, apparently. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? You've been here long enough to see? It. Be careful. Be careful. One of my favorite, this is bad. I, I know this is naughty, but I can't help myself. One of my favorite things to do, Mary, is, is it happens in the daytime a lot, is I'll, I'll be out here going to my car, and I'll see this car come, and they don't, not only do they not slow down, they speed up. Because they're looking ahead. They don't see anybody coming off a North Confederate. So they're going to go right through it. And I run out to the edge of the road and I go like this. And I'm telling you, I've seen people lock them up. Why? Because somebody's looking. I want to tell you something. Somebody's always looking even if nobody's there. God is looking. But it's funny to me. How the law breaking residents of late Wildwood will slam on brakes when there's a human being standing at that stop sign going like this. And I don't mean touchdown. I mean like what in the world? Oh, and there's a little bit of accountability. Everybody's going to take this suggestion and turn into a law. Right? And I remember in there one of these times of this sweet walk with the Lord. Walking so close to God, I pulled out of the driveway here, got to the stop sign, and I slowed down. But I kind of did a because I'm not as bad I'm not as bad as those people that blow through the stop sign. But I rolled through it and went on going. And I'm gonna tell you something. I didn't get to the side gate. Listen to me. Before the con the I hadn't been convicted of a sin like that. I mean, you'd have thought. You would have thought I took the Lord's name in vain. That's how hard the Holy Spirit hit me with rolling through a stop sign. Why? Because I was very close walking in intimate fellowship with a God who is holy and the slightest sin is like committing murder. So much so, I pulled the car right over. You're going to think I'm silly. I turned it around and I came and I put, not only did I stop at that stop sign, I put it in park. And I said, Lord, forgive me. I have no right to break man's law because in doing so I break your law. The closer you get to God, the more you're going to be aware of every sin. And we understand that this forgiveness is important. Interesting thing, and and now I'm going to move on. But this word for forgiveness in this verse is an interesting word. It's really reserved for God's forgiveness of us, not our forgiveness of others. It's a different kind of word. Because this forgiveness, you could even translate it the forgiveness. And I love what, what David says there. Oh, if you should mark our iniquities, nobody's, we're all in trouble, right? And he's talking about the whole, na- whole lot of them. Oh, but there is, think about it this way, there is the forgiveness with you. Anyone glad for that? God, you got the forgiveness. (laughs) The forgiveness that this whole nation needs and that I as their king needs. Amen? How many of you are glad that God has the forgiveness available to us this morning? It's your greatest need this morning and God has provided it through the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. I love how David says it in Psalm 103, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, amen, or repay us according to our iniquities, amen. Oh, but as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Oh, and that's true. If God kept a record of sin, no one could stand But as God says in Hebrews 10, 17, and jot it down, listen to this. Listen to the best news of the day. Their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. (laughs) I just got done telling you that God's going to remember every sin. And He does. But oh, there was the greatest of sinners who never sinned yet took upon the sins of all of his people as if he had committed everyone and God judged every one of those sins and remembered every one of those sins against his own precious son. He took our record as if he had done every sin and gave us his, which was perfect. Because of that, Our record is clean. Who can stand? Only the Son. And it is with His record we stand robed in the robes of the righteous Lamb of God. Amen? Amen. What does that do to you? What it does to you is what David says, that you may be feared. Does that mean we stand and tremble? I I imagine that when we do stand before God, there's going to be a ton of trembling. (laughs) I don't know what that's all going to be for, He's awesome. It's going to blow our mind even in a glorified body. No, that word feared can also be translated worshiped. And I saw it right here. What happens when we're reminded of what we've done and what's been done for us? It ignites our worship of God. And it should. And if it doesn't, if you sit there with your arms crossed and chew your gum and think, when is he going to get done? because you are not comprehending the weight of your sin and the wealth of the price that was paid for it in Jesus Christ Charles Spurgeon Or let me do Samuel Cox first he says this God shows this mercy not that man may think lightly of his sin but that they may magnify his compassion and pay him the reverence due his name (laughs) isn't that good? As Charles Spurgeon writes, none fear the Lord like those who have experienced his forgiving love. Gratitude for pardon produces far more fear and reverence of God than the dread of punishment. Jesus said in Luke 7:47 that he is, who is forgiven much loves much, and that's the sense that we're getting here. Oh Israel, do you not know what you have been forgiven of? Oh Oh, people, do we not know what we've been forgiven of? We have, we have been taught of a Jesus who barely needs to die for our sin because we're that good, and that is a lie. One more word, and then we'll, we'll, we'll run to conclusion. Um, that word mercy is a really cool word in the Hebrew. You know, Hebrew is like Chinese, right? It's strokes that kind of make, in their mind, make a picture. The picture for the word mercy is, a, is, is that the strokes go together and make a picture of a mother hovering over her child with a stick in her hand to beat off anything that would come close. It's the stubborn love of a mother for her children. I look at Sherry holding this sleeping baby over here. That's mercy. And you you got to go through her to get to that baby. That's how I see mama's nodding her head, right? Right? You don't want to mess with a mother protecting her children. That's the picture of God's unfailing love and mercy towards us in Christ. Woo! If that don't get you excited, I can't help you this morning. Let me finish it up for us. Let's talk about a caution to wait. How do you wait? You wait expectantly. Look at verses 5 and 6 and this caution to wait. They have a saying, if you've ever been in the United States Air Force, hurry up and wait. Right? hurry up and wait we don't like to wait especially when we're hurting look what he says: I wait for the Lord my soul waits not just my body but what my soul is waiting my whole life is waiting and in his word I do hope look at verse 6 my soul there it is again waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning yes more than those who watch for the morning they're called watchmen I'll get into that here in just a second. Notice the first thing here is that David, what is David hoping? Go back to that verse 5 there. What is David hoping? He said, My hope is in his word. In his word I do hope. David's not hoping and putting his, his trust in feelings, he's not putting his trust in a, his circumstances, are bad. The whole nation is eaten up with sin. But he hopes in God's Word. The Word of God. You'll be able to pray like David did in Psalm 5 when you hope in God's Word. When he wrote in Psalm 5, 3, In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you. Look at this. Listen to this. And I wait in expectation. You have not because you... I mean, the Lord has rebuked me more than once. Why are you even praying? You're not expecting me to do anything. Not David. Because his hope was in God's Word. And God always keeps His Word. Amen? Those who watch for the morning, you know who those guys are. Anybody ever worked security? Anybody ever been in the military? Had to work night detail? No fun, is it? Boy, I remember working security in Bible college in Boston. I worked at a large software company. And... uh. We had to sit at this front desk and the whole the whole front of the building was glass and i would sit there we weren't allowed to be on the computer there was no such thing as a cell phone back then that's how old i am and uh we, we could we could do some homework but but you had to be careful because they would check on you and i found that reading a theology book at 4:30 in the morning makes you want to go to sleep sometimes not keeps you awake <laughs> And I remember I would sit there as a young man in Bible college in Boston, Massachusetts and stare out that window at that black darkness and I would just wait for those first fingers of light to hit that horizon in expectation. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Can't wait. And the idea here, why does he use this? Uh, More than the watchman wait for the morning. Then he repeats it. Yes, more than the watchman wait for the morning. That's for emphasis. What are they waiting for? What are the, what's the watchman waiting for? Morning. The sun to come up so they can go home. But don't miss the idea. Don't miss it. Look, you ready? The sun always comes up. That's the point. He said, I'm waiting for the Lord, and he is so faithful. What can I use for an illustration? Oh, like the guy sitting watch outside my door. And they're waiting for the first lights of morning and then it could be off because they know, don't miss it, they know that God is so faithful that every morning the sun's going to come up. You getting it? Just like the night watchman counts on the sun coming up every morning so he can go home, I can count on you, God, keeping your word. And that's where my hope and my expectations are going to be. Is that us today? I pray that It is. And then the last one, a command to hope. A command to hope. Verses 7 and 8. Here's what the scripture says as he commands to hope. O Israel, hope in, literally, Yahweh or Jehovah. Hope in Jehovah. For with Jehovah there is mercy there's that mama's stubborn love mama bear and with him is how much redemption abundant more than enough redemption and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquity (laughs) boy if this don't bless you your blesser's broke (laughs) I'm telling you what right now this is good stuff This is good stuff. And he commands Israel to hope. Now, that's not hoping. Like last night, I was was hoping that the Bulldogs would eke out a win. And they did. But that was like, it sure would be nice if they could beat Clemson. That's not confidence, is it? This word hope is confident expectation. Just like I know the sun's coming up in the morning, that's what the word hope means. Are Are you with me? He says, Israel... Put your confident expectation in Jehovah and in Jehovah alone. Why? Because with Jehovah, there is mercy. Have you blown it? Yes, we all have. The whole nation was a disaster. And what does he say? Trust in God, because only with Jehovah is there mercy. Why? God's love is stubborn. How many of you are glad that's true? Surely your goodness and your mercy. stubborn love, your mercy, that's what's going to follow me as long as I'm alive. Why? Because I'm an idiot and I need that. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm a dead man. Who can stand before you? If Jesus doesn't take my sin, I'm, I'm done for. Oh, there's mercy with him, though. Praise the Lord. Unfailing love. First Corinthians thirteen eight. love never fails. Here's the next one with the lord there's how much redemption plenty of full redemption and that word redemption is, means to buy back well and literally it means a slave market where they would literally take a human being set them up on a block of marble and sell them to the highest bidder bible makes it clear and david was making it clear to israel All y'all are sold under sin. Sin, when you sin, the price is your soul and you become a slave to that sin. Amen? And some of you are sitting there today and you're slaves to that sin. Whatever that sin that is ruling your life. It might be the sin of anger. It could be the sin of bitterness Was anger gone wrong. I don't know what your sin is, but here's, I know two things. You ready for this? You ready? I know God knows what your sin is and I know that you know what your sin is. And you're a slave to that sin. And how many of you have had this experience? The harder you try to get out of it, what? The more handcuffs get put on you. You started it, but you got no way to finish it. You can't buy yourself back. But what does he say? I can buy you. And I got more than enough money. The money is the blood of my son. Buys anything. I buy you out of that sin. I'll buy you out of that slavery. I buy you out of that perversion. The blood's enough. And that's the price. Full redemption with the Lord. Ephesians 1.7 In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. You have great sin? Fear not. We have a great Savior. Amen. 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 When He says in Romans 5.20 where sin abounded, He says what? Grace did much more about. I wish they would just translate that right. Literally, it says, "Where sin abounded, grace super abounded. Hupitasha. Way over and above. What's that mean? It means you can't out the grace of God. God's grace through the blood of Jesus Christ is so powerful, it overcomes everything you could ever do so you can stop doing what you're doing. And start living holy in Christ. And I love this last point God redeems his people from all their sins. From all of their sins. He shall redeem Israel from all, how many church? All their iniquities. The Lord himself will do this. God does it. We couldn't redeem ourselves. No human being can do it. So it took God himself to redeem his people from their sins. (laughs) He sends his own son into the world. You know what's interesting? Even Jesus' name proclaims this beautiful truth. When Mary was pregnant with Jesus, Joseph is fixing to get a quiet divorce. He could have made that public and really shamed her. And before you throw stones at Joseph, what would you think if your fiance came and said, oh, by the way, Joe, I'm pregnant and God's the father. Yeah, okay, Mary. So he's fixing to do this quietly because he loves her. He's a good man. And God comes to him, gives him a dream, and says, she's telling you the truth, son. And here's how this is going to go down. You're going to take her, and ultimately, you're going to marry her. And when this kid's born, you're going to name him Jesus. Now, that's the Greek interpretation, the Greek translation of his name. The name is Yeshua, which we get our word Joshua from. And Yeshua sounds a lot like Jehovah, and there's a reason. <laughs> Yeshua. You know what Yeshua means? God saves, God's salvation. You know what the number one name for little boys was the year Jesus was born? Yeshua. Why? Because they were begging God to send a Messiah. To save them, not from their sins, but from the Romans. Because they had an idea that the Romans were their problem. They had no idea that their sin was their problem. They could live under the Romans, as long, but they couldn't live under their sin. So God didn't send them a, a Savior from Rome. He sent them a Savior from their sin, from themselves. And sends Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus, because he will save their people from their sins. Matthew one twenty one. How wonderful to know that Christ has redeemed us from all of our sins. Not just some of them. All of them. Past sins, what? Present sins and what else? Future sins. Now, so, now here's a bad thing. I've got to say this. i got to put this qualifier. That doesn't mean that just because you're saved from all your sin, you can go out and live like hell. People who go out and live like hell live that way because that's where they're headed. What's in your heart comes out of your life. I'm just telling you the truth. All right? So that's not what it means. What it means is you have been given the power, the privilege, and the opportunity to stop living like hell and start bringing the heaven to earth. Amen? That's what it means. And it's a beautiful truth. i close with this. Psalm 103. Two, and four, 2 to 4. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What does he do? What are these benefits? Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases and redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. He redeems all your sins in Christ. He redeems your life from the pit And out of the depths of sin, and he crowns you with love and and compassion. So as we come to this table in just a second, we come to it to remember the gospel, the good news of what I have just declared to you. That through the bread and the cup, we are reminded of our sin. And we cry out from the depths of despair. The weight of our sin drives us to a call for forgiveness. And in light of this great forgiveness, we hear a clear caution to wait expectantly for God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Because God demonstrates over and over and over His covenant faithfulness. Because He does, we joyfully obey a command to hope. A command to expect God to do what he said he would do, what only he can do, and to trust him for the time in between. What's that mean for you today? Here's what it means as we go to prayer. If you're here today, and you've never, you've heard the gospel, but you've never heard the gospel. You get the difference? It's Jay's story. Jay heard the gospel at six, but he heard the gospel in his teen years. This might be the very first time it makes sense to you, and God is awakening you to realize how sinful you really are and how holy he really is. Here's what you need to do with that. You need, to, you need to work with God and say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. I am sinful, way more sinful than I realized. Preacher said even rolling through a stop sign is enough to send me to hell. And you're way more holy than I thought you were. You're offended at me rolling through a stop sign. In late Wildwood, where it's just a suggestion. But you're not okay with that because you are a holy God, and I'm apparently way more sinful than I thought I was, and you're way more holy than I ever understood. But today, right here, right now, it's starting to make sense to me. I'm in trouble. I can't stand before you. And every one of my sins is in some book. And when that book's open, I'm done. I am toast. I got nothing to say. I'm wiped out before you as I should be. But that preacher also said, you've got a mother's stubborn love. And if I'll admit my sin and turn away from them and hold on to Jesus and receive Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension in my place, that you take all my sin and put it in Jesus and I'll get his perfect record so that when I stand before you, it's not going to be Mandy standing before you, it's not going to be Paul standing before you, it's going to be Jesus, your own son, standing before you in perfect robes of righteousness, not guilty, totally purchased off the slave block of my own sin and you're going to look at me and you're going to see me through Jesus. And I want to spend the rest of my life thanking you by learning how to obey better and better. That's the gospel. What do I do? You respond to it. You cooperate with that gospel. You do it right now. And you do not wait. You said, i got to come forward? No, but you can. There's an old-fashioned altar right there. We need to start using that more. It's not an altar call. It's a gospel call. And if God, listen, I know this. If God's speaking to your heart, we can have all the men in this church stand in front of that altar and we can't keep you away from there. It ain't the altar that saves you. It's the cross of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb that saves you. And you need saving this morning. So if I'm talking to you, I don't care if you're a deacon. I don't care if you're a pastor. Don't let them title stand between you and redemption. Let's get it right today. If it is right, let's get right. Let's make sure we understand who we're worshiping and thank him for it. So I'm gonna invite you right now, bow your head and close your eyes. You spend some time with God. You ask him, what's the condition of my heart? Am I ready to start walking with you again? It's been a little while, God. I'm sick of this flesh trip, it's not working. I don't like it, I'm yours, I'm not made for this. Maybe you just really don't know him. You say, I gotta repent of my sin, I gotta turn away from my sin, put my faith in Jesus. You do that right now. Right now, do that. Don't do anything else. We're going to pray and ask God to wake us up to the gospel. And we're going to take five minutes and celebrate it, and then we're going home. Let's ask Him to change our hearts. Father we come to you today thanking you for the Lord Jesus Christ thanking you for loving us enough to send your only begotten son to die in our place so that we could stand before you clothed in his perfect record of right and we know that that could not happen unless and until he takes our wretched record of wrong and how wrong it is May the truth of that wash over us like a flood. And instead of being in the depths of despair, may we be in the heights of praise because we are redeemed by your great stubborn love. And as we take these elements today in just a minute, may we be reminded of that and may we be overwhelmed and may we be so deeply grateful that it inflames and ignites our worship of you, even as we drink this juice and eat this bread. May we do it for the glory of your Son. And Lord, for those that are hearing this message new, may you awaken them from the stupor of their sin that they may grab hold of the beautiful truth of their Savior in Jesus Christ. Would you do that today, not for us. Would you do it for the glory and majesty of your own name, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Courtney's going to come, and she's going to, I think maybe some of the, worship leaders and they're going to sing a little song as you guys come get these elements this morning I'll tell you how we do it here a little bit of an announcement super important so please pay attention Um, we believe that if you are walking with the Lord Jesus Christ and you love him you have done what I said you have repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus and been baptized to publicly announce that you've given up the right to ever say no to God again that's what baptism is um then come. Take a little bit of a cracker here and, and, and a little cup of juice and let's remember what was done for us. But if those things don't describe you, then don't come. Be honest about it. Nobody's watching you. We're too busy watching what a great God and what he's done for us. We're not looking at you, we're not judging you, We've got no time for that we're praying for you and that's all good and I, there's some Christians here that unless they've repented they don't need to take this either uh, unless unless if we're, if we're just living in sin and, and just messing up and we plan to go home and do the same thing don't this table becomes dangerous to the welfare and health of your life don't, don't do it you're drinking judgment to yourself don't, you say preacher you're making me afraid of the table no I'm making you afraid of God and you should be you should be We don't condone sin in ourselves, and we certainly don't condone sin in our family. That ought to to have an impact on how we do this. But if we're fearing God correctly, come and take this bread and cup. Hold it, and we'll take it together here in just a minute. But I'm going to pray before we do. And uh, those of you that fit in those categories, come. And if you don't, be honest, and that's all good. And we're going to love you and we're going to be praying for you. Father, we love you today. Thank you for the body of Jesus that transformed us, our identity from sinner to saint. Thank you that he bore our sins in his body on that tree. Thank you for the blood of Christ by which we are fully redeemed, as David reminded us this morning. Fully redeemed. Past, present, and future. May we live in light of that. And even as we hear this song of the month that we're going to be learning as a church, may we remember that we can call on you. We can cry to you. And you always hear. Enliven our worship of you. In Jesus' name.